It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the weekly Post-Gazette YouTube show. I'm Jason Mackey alongside Andrew Destin. We are brought to you as always by North Shore Tavern. One of my favorite places anywhere. If you love baseball, you'll love the North Shore Tavern with its interior dedicated to the history of the Pirates. The tavern has an array of delicious appetizers, entrees, cocktails, and of course, delicious steaks and seafood served on a sizzling lava stone open every day. It's a stone's throw away from PNC Park in Pittsburgh's home for steak on a stone. Well, Rowdy, Andrew, we had a heck of a month here in August. It's been the Pirates' best month since 2008. They have steadied themselves somewhat behind a bunch of kids, some pitching that I can't believe they're doing what they're doing. I would argue it's probably unsustainable. But in any case, the Pirates are largely getting it done. They're 20 and 19 over their past 39 they're on pace, I believe, for 74 wins at this point, um, just coming off a sweep of the Kansas City Royals. What are mo- what are you most encouraged by? What sort of stands out to you about this stretch? Uh, first thing is you saying they're on pace for 74 wins because, I mean, that's your preseason prediction, right? 74 and 88. So. That has nothing to do with me, but, I mean, I think <laughs> a lot of people – what was the Vegas over-under? It was like 67, right? Yeah, 67 and a half, I think. And that was, you know, before – or I think that was even after, like, if you did, like, the live one during the year after the 20 and 8 start, it never climbed over, like, 70. So, I mean, this is – yeah, there's it's a lot inter- of – Yeah. Isn't it an interesting dichotomy with this team? And I think that's some of what this podcast is going to be about. We'll go into other stuff about, um, you know, like Jack Sawinski last night homering, what we think about that, can, can Brian Hayes progress, pitching stuff. But, I mean, is this a good season? Is there progress made? Like, I think you can look at it individually and get really frustrated at some stuff that has happened. But if the Vegas over under 67 and we're talking about 74 wins, shouldn't that be seen as, like, pretty good? Yeah, it should be, especially in light of no O'Neill Cruz, right? That you're you're expecting a full season at the beginning of the year from O'Neill Cruz. And when you don't get that, that's probably, you know, assuming him as a four war player, you would expect this to go back to being an hundred loss team, right? Yeah. So I mean, I think that uh that speaks volumes there. But yeah, I mean, there's so many encouraging signs. I mean, the, the first one you go to, you bring up Kibrian Hayes, right? This is a guy who they financially invested a lot in and has a career high RBIs in August, hitting for a high average, hitting for power. Um, he's seemingly healthy now, taking better care of his body, which, you know, for a two month stretch there, June and July, we didn't see a lot of Cabrian Hayes. So, I mean, that to me, that's where this all starts, I feel like. It's just the encouraging sign number one is Cabrian. You have him healthy. He's contributing. He's making the Pirates look really smart with what he's done this past month. And then if I'm flipping it back to the pitching, it's, you know, it's you're getting production out of guys that, you know, go back a month ago, go back two months ago, 
Um, there were concerns about all-star Mitch Keller, about what were you going to get out of him if he was just a, a flash there for the first two months. And now he's come back into that dominant form and is once again resembling the ace. So, yes, it's not a perfect season. You'd probably like Jack Swinski to be a little bit more consistent. You maybe would have wanted Brian Reynolds throughout the whole season to be a little bit more consistent and certainly would have liked to get some better health um, from your pitching staff as well as just from the team in general. But um, I would view this as this is success, right? This is a step forward. The key is next year needs to be a bigger step forward. But um, in terms of your cornerstones, guys that you're looking at to get contributions out of regularly, I feel like you got to be happy about that, right? All I heard there was step forward. And it sounds like Mike Sullivan. <laughs> it's hockey season, man. No, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> no, I know. I know. Um, no, I agree with most of what you're saying. Um, and, and, you know, but I, I was on with um, – Cook and Joe, Cook was out, but it, Starkey and Matt Cole were asking. And I thought it was a thought-provoking question um, where they were asking me about which hitter under Andy Haynes, under the Pirates, has legitimately gotten better this season. And that's a tough question to answer. It really is. Like, has Jack Sawinski gotten better? I don't know. I mean, he's experienced a lot, probably long-term. I think he can look back on this season and say that that was really important in framing perspective. But has he gotten better? I don't know. I don't know if you could say that Brian Reynolds has gotten better. He's produced the way everybody expected and hoped, and that's great. I wouldn't say that Andy Rodriguez, Henry Davis, they've gotten better. They've, they've been serviceable. I think some have gotten worse. And Castro, Bay, Marcano, I don't think have had really exemplary years. But at the same time, the sum total has gotten better. They're winning more games. They, they set out to win more games, and when the dust settles, unless something crazy happens, they're going to be able to say yes. We won more games. And if you jump 12 wins in Major League Baseball with what they spent and what they expected to do, and they did it, you know, again, this is theoretical, but if you finish the season 60-plus games playing over 500 ball while relying on a bunch of young kids who are going to be here for next year, I understand feeling happy about that. I, I really do. And, like, we're – Talking about at the beginning, you're talking 74 wins at the beginning of this thing. They're going to hit right on that. Um, you'd like to see some individual performances be different. Sure. Quinn Priesto, Ronzi Contreras, Luis Ortiz. Like, I don't know what to make of them after this year, but I can look at this year if this continues and think that it is a relative success. Yeah. It's at the very least, what you've done is stockpiled talent to a point that you're more competitive. At the very least, you've done yeah. that. You know, maybe you haven't developed guys as much. And I'll throw out a name there. I, I can speak to one guy who's improved significantly as a hitter, and that's Jason DeLay. We, we can't forget his improvement as a hitter. Why are you bringing up the backup catcher? <laughs> backup catcher! I was sitting on that one. I can't help myself. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. I'm just giving you a hard time. No, but, but, yeah, the point remains that if we're looking at the starters, if we're looking one through nine of the lineup – yeah, in general, it hasn't improved. The contributions haven't been as impactful as maybe you'd like across the board, guys being consistent. But I think, yeah, you look at it and go, hey, given everything that's transpired, um, given who's coming up, yeah, it's probably gone about according to plan, just in terms of the win-loss record or what you would expect. It's, I think what's just been more baffling, and I know we've talked about this before on the show, has just been the path to getting there, the yeah. crazy start, the horrid May, the rough June and July, and then somehow miraculously when you're throwing Andre Jackson, Colin Selby, Thomas Hatch, and Ryan Barucki as starting options and bulk options, 
you're playing over 500 baseball. And that's no discredit to any of those guys as professional ball players, but just that's not what was in the cards in August or in, a, in April, excuse me. So, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of credit to be given there. But um, to your point, when you bring up guys like Luis Ortiz or Anzi Contreras, I can extend it to the hitters too. You go down to AAA and say, hey, where's Nick Gonzalez? Um, yeah. That's a guy who, yeah, he's producing in AAA, but hasn't done it up here. Leover Peguero is running to some power, and that's a good sign. But, you know, Gonzalez was a first-round pick, I think number seven overall or something like that. So, um, you know, there, there's talent there. There's guys that you can feel optimistic about and feel excited about. But on the same token, um, there's still a lot to be learned about these hitters, these position players, to see who sticks and who doesn't. And I think that's the beauty of this year is you're just running guys out there, giving them some runway and really seeing what you got. Um, but you would certainly maybe like to see them develop a little bit more while they're up there. Yeah, I would agree with that. But I, I think it. I'm a big fan of like looking in the mirror, checking myself, seeing what I did wrong. There's yep. certainly lots of things there that I try to improve on. And this is one of them. Um, I think I'm guilty of thinking that it's too easy too. And, and this year may be teaching me an appreciation for how darn hard it is to come up to the major leagues and contribute. And I think a lot of people, and I'm probably one of them again, that you look at the Padres or the White Sox, whenever they did it, the Orioles, um, some of these comparable rebuilds, and they have guys that come up and do it right away. And that's tremendous, but like they're one percenters, they're one percenters of the one percenters that like, that's not a standard that, that everybody should hold. Like it, I guess, what I'm trying to say is it's not all screwed. If guys take a little bit of time, if, if guys take the path that Nick Gonzalez or Quinn Priester have, like they come up, they go down, they come up again and be really good. Like you have to learn. It's not always that they just come up, contribute and have like the Brian Reynolds year of 2019 and stick. And they're terrific. Um, you know, yeah, it's, it, it's great. And that's probably what championship teams are made of when you have a bunch of guys do that at once and then they all stick together. But I mean, that's kind of a tough standard. So I look at it and think if they're learning things um, and you're betting on potential and you're understanding that guys are going to flop, right? Like not everybody's going to hit, but. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. If they hit more than they lose with a lot of these young guys coming up and some of them do figure it out, you're going to feel like this is a success, but it's just tough to see in the moment because of how long of a season it is, how much things change, how many, you know, how many, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Or, you know, you can have like mixed signals, right? Like you can feel terrible about Henry Davis, not catching and not playing well defensively. 
and being hurt, but I can also feel really good about him homering twice off of Shohei Otani and some of the offensive upside that I saw. Like I feel pretty good about Henry, the hitter. He's going to contribute for a long time. I look at the OPS and it still starts at the six. So anyway, that's a whole convoluted way of saying, I think this is a very difficult season to decipher and it has taught me and probably other people just how, how much stuff happens in a season. Yeah. And it, and just to echo that last point there where you're bringing up Henry, it's like, I think that kind of goes to the point of you're looking for tangible things that play in the big leagues, right? You're looking for some of those tangible points and like you bring up an Andy Rodriguez, right? Like, I know you wrote about this today that maybe the framing or the blocking isn't quite there, but you look at the arm talent, you look at his passion for the position, his aptitude for learning and what he's done at the plate in some sample size. Like there are things you point at and say, okay, I can project that out as a big league ball player. And right. yeah, it's going to take those growing pains, which with any of these guys, I think that's the key takeaway. It's not right. Like you say, like a Brian Reynolds, 2019 season, like that's a high, high expectation to hold for every guy coming up here but you're looking for those flashes. And, you know, I, I hate to speak in like the company talk or jargon or anything like that, but it is a non-linear path, I think, for a lot of these guys. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's definitely a takeaway I have is just that you're looking for points, you're looking for games, you're looking for weak stretches where you say, okay, I see that, that plays, that's something that gives this guy runway to, to see what they have here. And if it doesn't work out, if a prospect doesn't pan out, then sure, then you've learned. But, you know, ND to me, the arm talent stands up. Henry, the plate discipline, how he approaches at bats, mm -hmm. that stands out. P Pagaro's improved defense, right? Like, we're all excited about the the offense, but I think he's only made one error, and that was such a problem for him last year, at, either at short or second. And even in the minors a little bit this year, he had some struggles with that. So it's like there's things you can tangibly point to and say, okay, that's marked improvement. That showed he improved in the in the minors. That development can continue in the big leagues. You just got to see more of it, I feel like. I also think it's important to talk about what skills we're looking at. I guess what I mean is with Andy, you can't teach having a good arm. Yeah. You're like, you know, just having an elite throwing right. tool, which he does. You can teach a guy to block better. You can teach a guy to frame better. Uh, framing may become obsolete if they go to robo ops. I don't know. But, sure. you know, the, the skills that you cannot teach with those, I think it's tough to teach somebody to feel comfortable understanding the strike zone and navigating it at bat the way I feel like Henry Davis can. It's tough to, you, you can't just tell somebody to hit the ball hard or hit it far. Um, you know, we're seeing some stuff that it, you, you can replicate over time. Does that mean they're perfect? Absolutely not. You know, you want Jack Sawinski, you want to scream at him, say, swing the bat. <laughs> you know, you want to scream at a lot of guys saying, swing the bat. And I think it's entirely possible that they have filled these guys' heads with too much stuff. I mean, Jack Sawinski talked about that last night after he homered, saying, like, Andy Haynes was telling him, just black out, just black out. And, like, to Andy Haynes, that's an easy comment, saying, like, oh, well, stop thinking about things. Just just do that. And Jack goes, that's great, but how do I do it? You know, it, like, there's no conception of that, which I, I understand. You know, I, I equate it to, like, going on an airplane. You know, people say, oh, just go to sleep. I can't sleep on planes. My brain is too busy, you know, or, or like I tell my nine-year-old, go to sleep, go to sleep. He can't, his brain's going, you know? So like you have to find another way, um, which is what I see with some of these young hitters where like they're talented, their intentions are good, but like you can't just tell them, do this differently. Don't think, you know, like it has to be formed by experience. It has to be formed by you know, failing and, and coming back better for it. And I think we're seeing that with guys. But again, sort of the overall arching message here is that the path getting there can be hell.
Yeah, and with 34 games to go, right, there's a little bit of runway left in the season. There's more time for that. But at some point, it's also going to be, hey, you get the spring training in 24, and whoever breaks camp, that's going to be pretty, pretty, that's going to be pretty important, right? Because yeah. next year you look at that as, I don't want to say that's a must compete year, but I mean, I guess that's kind of a good segue to ask this question is like, what is a good 2024? Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself with that, but like, well, no, I get asked about 2027 lineup <laughs> on chats and on radio hits and whatever. You're good. I mean, so I, they yeah. should be over 20, over 2000, over 500 in 2024, in my opinion. I mean, if you're talking about jumping 12 wins, jumping, I mean, and calling that progress to me, like I want another, you know, I think 82 wins should be attainable. Right. I mean, spend more money, see more progress. It it can't go on forever. I think there's a a disconnect or a misunderstanding, not maybe not misunderstanding, just like, you know, fans are hungry. They want to see winning baseball. Right. Like they they feel like this has been long enough and I don't blame them for feeling that way. And in some ways, the current front office is paying for the sins of the former one where like, you know, this fan unrest was already here for a couple of years by the time they walked in the door and they're like, well, we have this plan and it's going to take this long and this is how we're doing it. This is perfectly normal. Like you're right. But the context is here in the city, like fans want so badly to see the pirates win. So like they don't want to hear another five years on top of the five years they've already waited, you know, or whatever, like they're upset that previous playoff teams didn't yield more success. And then they just sort of languish there. So anyway, it's like, you gotta, you gotta win. You gotta, and I think they started to sense that this year. They better sense it for next year. It should govern what they do in the off season. And I think we've seen some guys who here, like homegrown talent, that will legitimately help that. I also think there's more on the way. Again, not defending all of it, not saying they're perfect, but you know, you can step back a little bit and see some of the steps they're taking. Right. I think that answered the question or further the discussion. I don't know. Yeah, yeah no, definitely. Yeah, just blowing hot air. No, I, I think it absolutely is an important one because I look at the, the rest of the schedule left, left, right? I mean, they're 61 and 73. I'm, I'm hardly a math whiz, but I think 28 games left. It's like my approach is how do you look at the remaining 28? Like what's what are you looking for from that? You know, aside from maybe hitting that 74 win benchmark at 13 and 15 the rest of the way, it's an important discussion because – um, there's a lot going on there when it comes to the rotation, when it comes to what you're looking at in the middle infield, who's going to stick there. When does, you know, another discussion point of O'Neill Cruz, when does he ultimately come back? I mean, it, by all indications from when we last chatted with Todd Tomzik, it probably isn't going to be this year, but that could change. It could be Arizona Fall League. Like, I think it's all just important conversations for how does this segue into 2024? Because, yeah, there's only so much time left and I'm, Eager, eager to watch, like, what do you get out of the remainder of this rotation? What what exists? Like, do we see Rowanzi Contreras come back up and see how he would factor into the 2024 plans? Or are we not ready to have that conversation yet? Like, does Luis keep having a good run after a better showing in uh, in the bulk role? You know, I, you know, all of these things are just kind of keen on my mind because it's all relatable in 2024 with, do you bring back a Vince Velasquez? Do you bring back somebody like a Rich Hill to supplement that rotation depth? And um, I think that's where my mind kind of goes is like 2024 feels a long way away, but there's only, you know, a couple dozen games left. Uh, so when I look at those, it's like, Hey, they, you know, who sticks, who's a tangible piece? Who do you look at as Hey, we're kind of penciling them into the roster, um, you know, come end of March next year. Yeah. By the way, if they finish 20 and eight, finish 20 and eight, as opposed to starting 20 and eight, they will be 500. I saw that pointed out on Twitter and it was a tremendous catch. 
by whoever did it. I, I was looking <laughs> as you were talking to try to give proper credit and I did not find anything, but that's really good. Um, so maybe they'll do that. Maybe they'll finish 28 and wind up 500 and surprise all of us. I don't know. Um, but no, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. And I think, I think we lose sight of how much can happen in 28 games too. Um, yeah. But I do think you, you highlighted a couple things that are absolutely essential. Priester, Rowanzi, what becomes of them? I think that frames what you do with other guys. I think something we missed earlier in this discussion is talking about, you know, they are this far without Burroughs, without Brubaker. Those are two guys who should be in the rotation right now. Yeah. They should have taken steps. And I think you would also argue that they expected maybe two of three with Ortiz, Rowanzi, and Priester to, like, pitch meaningful innings this year, and they largely haven't. So, I mean, you're down – almost an entire starting rotation. The fact that they're going to make a 12-win improvement without Cruz in an entire starting rotation, and like a lot of their bullpen, not that this is a big excuse, but I mean, look at their opening day bullpen. It's in Indianapolis right now. That did not go well. Um, again, not an excuse, more of a probably a poor evaluation of talent or thinking guys could do things that they couldn't. But, you know, I, it's not bad. No. I guess, and I guess my second point with that, too, is I do think it's important to see what they have in Rowanzi, in Priester, in Ortiz. Um, I probably still see Ortiz as a bullpen guy. I think I'd, I'd like him to just crank it up, go fastball slider, and forget about the rest. I want to see what Rowanzi has. All the stuff I've been hearing about him has been very good, about having a four-pitch mix. The velocity is a little bit back. Control has been better. Biomechanics are better. So I think that's important. And and a little bit with Priester, too. I mean, they need to get his velocity back. His first start back there, I think his four-seamer topped out at like 93.3 or something like that. I mean, I just – it's a bit baffling to me where the velocity has gone. But I know you talked to John Baker in Altoona about it, and he had some some interesting and, and thoughtful comments. Baker always is very good at explaining that stuff. But I don't know. What did you take away from Baker? What do you think about those guys and getting right – yeah, fun, fun you bring that up. That was like something that I was not expecting at all in Altoona and probably should have been more prepared for just with it being Skeens making the debut there. But, you know, we – Was that your first time with Baker? Uh, second. There second. was one, one time – Oh, the, that's right. He went yeah. he was at PNC. Yeah. yeah he's one real time. good. Real yeah. good talker. Great talker. Yeah, and it's like you, you put any question in his court and he goes, okay, here's two minutes. Enjoy my response. It's 500 words. I'm like, all right, we can, we can pick and choose there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he gives you a lot. But, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I thought so much of it was interesting and like we keep making and it, whether it's fair or unfair, but like it feels like a lot of people kind of group Contreras and Ortiz into that same conversation. And I'm always whenever I'm asking questions about them and I know you're you know similar in this case, too. It's like you want to make sure you treat the guys as individual pitchers like you don't lump them together, their struggles like they're different, all that. But like Baker was kind of like, yeah, it's really similar. It's mechanics. It's that. That, you know, they can get in their own head instead of just, you know, letting it unleash and stay true to who they are. And that, you know, it's a lot easier to have higher velocity when you're pitching in double A or triple A than it is in the big leagues because you're cognizant of not making a mistake. And like that maybe it isn't that, you know, I, I guess there's like a misconception there that with, you know, Ortiz, for instance, the first start back where he was walking a lot of guys, it wasn't because he didn't have, you know, stuff or anything like that. It was that there's a lot of pressure you put on yourself after you've been demoted and you come back up and you're like, oh, wow, I 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. can't make mistakes. And then when you do make a mistake, instead of unleashing at your full potential with upper 90s, maybe you're 95, 96 down the pipe. So um, it was just interesting talking to Baker where he's like, yeah, these two guys, and you could even put Freester in there a little bit differently with him. It's more about you know, just ramping up the velocity in general. The location wasn't as much an issue as it was putting guys away with two strikes, but that he saw a lot of parallels with Contreras and Ortiz, that it's they need to get right with the mechanics. They weren't there uh, in July, obviously, which is why they each got sent away from the big leagues. And um, that's something that's really on my mind is just that, you know, maybe there are more parallels to this than I originally thought, which was kind of eye-opening for me, I guess. So, Yeah, one question I start asking myself with this stuff, and it's sort of poking holes in it, like, there are problems with the mechanics. Okay. Did they just start pitching differently now? Yeah. What, why, where were the problems before? Because Ortiz came up here and threw, and threw very well. Um, did we ignore those mechanics from his time in single A, double A, triple A? Like, did we just look past them? Did, did they not have the capability of figuring out if those mechanics are poor? I mean... Maybe, maybe technology is different, but the Pirates also love to talk about how much they've spent on technology and, you know, it, at Pirate City and, and you know, they should have access to that stuff anywhere they go. If a guy is having delivery problems, you should be able to detect it with an eye and then get him somewhere that you can fix that. Like, I don't understand why that wasn't fixed before this level. Yeah. Um, you know, and I don't think something just wiggled loose all of a sudden. Now, I do think the Pirates are looking at this. And that, that's sort of, that's my critical angle of it. Right. And I, but I, on the positive side, like I do think the pirates are looking at this with these pitchers best interest at heart. And they're trying to think this is the way we can most preserve your arm. We need your arm to, to last. Um, we need your body to move in a certain way to ensure consistent strike throwing and pitch execution and all this stuff. So like, I think their heads in the right place. I just worry with these young guys, Andrew, I just worry. And I've said this before about how much is in there. You know, and I think it's I, th- I think it's a common problem, frankly, with like Jack, Andy a little bit, Henry a little bit. It's like information overload. You know, you're just giving these young kids so much to think about. And in a way, it's a compliment. If we're, we're trusting you, we're trusting that you can handle this stuff. But I just I think some some guys can and I think some guys can't. Like, I, I think I would trust some particular pitchers, players with a whole boatload of information. The others, I'm just going to say, you know what? Go out and do your thing, man. Do your thing. And I'm going to think in the back of my mind, like spring training is probably a time to like pick off one or two. I don't want to bog this guy down worrying about where the ball's going. Like he throws 102. Just let him throw 102 
and just don't kill anybody. I don't know. No, no, it's not certain. No, you're, it's like, and you bring that up too about like a guy who pumps 102. It's like, I think this was Calix Crab said this after Paul Skeens' start. And this is just kind of a segue into that conversation is that he made a note that with Paul, that um, in that, you know, the two thirds of an inning uh, against Akron, that Paul was going to learn that he doesn't need to be painting corners. He doesn't need to be completely yeah. on the black every time. It's like you can inch back over a little bit onto the white to get those strikes. You don't have to nibble. Um, yeah. And I thought that was just something that kind of resonates with me is like, if you've got the stuff, you can let it play. You don't have to nibble. You don't have to be so precise. And then when you worry about that, it's all kind of just going back to your point of like, hey, too much going on up here, like your information overload. But it's like, that's not just exclusive to these guys. That's everybody, right? Like mm-hmm. that's that might even apply to Paul Skeens. And, you know, maybe that, you know, when he was pitching in college that, you know, he loved nibbling. And this is a guy who doesn't want to just live with, okay, I throw 100. I can throw the ball down the middle and nobody touches me because I have an awesome off-speed pitch that plays off of it. Like, you know, you you know this as well as anybody. Like, this is a guy who's cognizant of pitching. He's a thinker. He's, you know, wants to be the best that he can be in just various capacities. But it's like, that's an example that comes to my mind of like, hey, if you've got stuff if it can play, like, let guys grip it and rip it at some point. And I don't know that we're seeing a whole, a whole ton of that. Sometimes the best thing you can be is stupid. <laughs> Honestly. Isn't that so it's so true? It's like yeah. I don't forget baseball, just society. Like sometimes I just want to be, you know, I want to I want to like not care. I want to just, you know, be me and not care about outside noise or something like that. But that's a way deeper discussion than Paul Skeens or throw pitches over the plate. <laughs> um anyway, let's finish up with this because I think it's pertinent. We asked Ben Charrington this the other day. He didn't answer in any sort of exact terms, but um, we can answer in exact terms because that's what we do here. This offseason, what do you want to see the pirates do? What do you think is important? Where should the focus be? What needs should they address? That sort of thing. I'm going to roll the ball in your court, and then I have my answers. Uh, first and foremost is first base. Uh, that comes to mind for me. Uh, you got to figure out that position. I like Connor Joe a lot. I think he's a great guy off the bench as a platoon guy, too. Um, the experiment with G-Man Choi and Carlos Santana had its ups and downs, but I'd like to see them try that again. If that's bringing back Santana or getting somebody else on the market, um, I think you need a veteran presence there. Um, and another one that would come to mind uh, would also be catcher. I really like Jason DeLay as a backup catcher. I haven't had any problems there. And yep. I know people I know people are going to jump to the Austin Hedges discussion, but uh, of how that failed last this past Andrew, year. Andrew, you've been nerding out over pitch framing again. No, 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 no. Not me. I'm, I'm, I'm off that topic. Um, but I bring that up because this is just me. I guess part of this is going to be me extrapolating my guess off what the Pirates are going to do. I don't know that we see Henry Davis catch, right? Like just based on all the evidence I've gotten, I am currently operating under the belief that 2024 he'll either be in right field or DHing or some combination of the two. If he catches, it's not going to be in a true backup role. I'd like to see somebody come in and they try to run back what they did with hedges, but do it the correct way with somebody who can actually be that backup guy who's a little bit more of a veteran presence and do that with Andy. Um, could be totally off base by me, but I would just be curious to see that. I like Jason Delay a lot, but I'm curious if bringing another veteran guy into the clubhouse the way that they did, where you had Rich, where you had Carlos Santana, um, where you have Kutch. Like, I just want to see more veteran guys in there. And I don't, oh, yes. know, and yes. I don't know if that's in the outfield. I don't know if it's anywhere. A t- like a key one that I guess I would point to is backup catcher could work because I like Delay. He's provided good things there, but. Maybe somebody who can be that hands-on teacher with Andy the way that Hedges was just for a cup of coffee there. I think that could be helpful. I don't think that can hurt. What about you? 
So I'm with you on first base. I think they need to spend some legitimate money and get a power hitting first baseman who hits in the middle of their order, can put the ball over the fence, all that stuff. Legitimate there. I don't know how I feel about Santana occupying that spot. I go back and forth and it might depend on a number for me. I think there's value there. If he's, you know, the leadership he provided, the defense he provided, he was very good. I'd ideally like to see more pop, but I think I could maybe live with it with the other stuff. Like if you, I guess what I'm saying, if you would save money on Carlos Santana and they would repurpose the money they saved and spend it on pitching, like legitimate starting pitching, I could be okay with that. If you just say like, we're going to pitch it, we're going to pitch it. We're going to pitch it. Well, we're going to have, you know, two guys that we add, we're going to have Keller Oviedo, hopefully Roe Ortiz Priester, two of the three figure it out. I don't know. You've got skeins coming. You're going to have Burroughs and Brubaker coming back at some point. Like, we're just accumulating arms. And they say, we're going to skimp a little bit on the defense with Santana. I, I guess I could live with it. But, yeah, the first place, I guess I started answering the whole question. But the first place I look at is, is first base. I just I need to see more there. Um, I like Connor Joe, too, as a bench player. It's fine. If he's, you know, 24, 25, 26 man on your roster, great. I'm fine running him out the right field if I have to. Um, oh, here we go. We got the news we were looking for. Um, Guardians claimed right-handed starter Lucas Giolito and right-handed reliever Reynaldo Lopez on waivers. There you have it. The Pirates did not get Lucas Giolito. <laughs> Sad. I was hoping for that, man. I thought that could be a, a, a good move for them as I wrote today. But, yeah, it is $2 million for one month, so it is what it is. But, anyway, just to finish up my answer, Giolito sort of feeds into it. They got to get more pitching. They got to get more pitching. You can never have enough pitching. Yeah. And you might need more relief pitching too, right? You know, you talk a lot about the starters there, but I feel like you can't, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I don't hate their bullpen. Yeah. I don't. Um, this is something Ford and I discussed on pitching in. He's very high on their bullpen. Um, I'm not quite at his level, but I mean, think about this. Bednar, Holderman, Majinski. I've liked Barucki. I don't know about you. If Perdomo is healthy, fine with that. Hernandez, I think, has taken some steps. And we've got three lefties there that we feel pretty good about. I've liked at times what I've seen from Colin Selby. You've got some depth in AAA. I suppose you can have some guys there. Um, you know, there's some guys I don't know what, quite what they are. You know, like Yuri De Los Santos, maybe not part of this thing. But, you know, you're going to have some runoff from the starting rotation. Like, I, again, I'm – largely okay with the bullpen i'm not sure i would i would spend a lot of time adding there yeah it wouldn't be a ton i think i i go to the left-handed side just because you mentioned those three guys but the yeah. issue has more been when any of them goes down it's created problems and that's yeah. more so when it's like okay from an opener standpoint but like you mentioned perdomo i really liked perdomo when he was here but that injury we'll see how serious it ends up being like if he's not good to go uh, come opening day next year i feel like i would like that another left-handed arm and I like Jose Hernandez, but the velocity has been a little bit down since he came back from injury. Uh, you know, and he had that ramp up in velo just after the Tommy John. I like Barucki a lot. I like that slider. He's a pitch he's worked on for the last couple of years, but like, is what he's doing sustainable based on the track record? Like, I like all of these guys in a vacuum, I guess. But I wonder if like adding another lefty for competition can't hurt because I go and add the AAA, and I'm like, there's a lot of right-handed depth, whether that's you know a Dwayne or a Chase or. Um, whoever else you got down there that you look to is okay. These are guys with big league experience, but 
yeah, it's not a ton. I just I think left-handed reliever would be one that I'd look at, whether that's a bolt guy or you know a true specialist. Okay, all right. Yeah. Maybe they have one with Harleen Garcia. Yeah. Oh man, I haven't seen him pitch this year. That's that's definitely would have been nice. He would have. I don't think you're life. going to, but he is throwing. Yeah, he is throwing. <laughs> he's throwing and he's thrown right-handed too. I've seen that too. That's been really. Cool. Yeah, I think he was like playing catch one time using somebody else's glove or something. Yeah. <laughs> he's like vince velasquez all over again same deal too funny true story in college um i messed up my shoulder uh my right throwing shoulder it was actually playing football on thanksgiving um and i i got tackled back when you could play well i guess you still play tackle football anyway got tackled separated my shoulder and so in college i played a lot of racquetball i loved it and so i taught myself how to play racquetball left-handed because i didn't want to not play racquetball and i couldn't move you know my my right arms in a sling so it was the most I ever did. I can't. I can throw left-handed a little bit. It's not pretty, um, but I've I've always been jealous of guys like Velasquez and I guess Harleen Garcia that can throw with either hand. That's pretty crazy. My takeaway from that story is me and you are getting on a racquetball court this winter. That's Wait, you play? Uh, not well, but I would love to play. I'm always okay. right. play, we'll play I, a lot I might like tennis. the floor with you. We'll see. <laughs> you probably will. I don't got you on the Westminster College athletics background. Come on. Ah! That's right, buddy. I played so much racquetball in college. I seriously, I loved it. And I, I, I tell my wife all the time, like if I ever had the opportunity to play racquetball again, I should join like a racquetball club or something in the, the winter. That would be fantastic. I would write a game story off of that. I would, go. <laughs> <laughs> I would be perched up on like the rafters above the way like racquetball. Yes. I'd be right there, man. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. I think we're done here. Yep, we're good. I gotta let you get some St. Louis barbecue. Come on, the man. wheels have come off. Yes, I, I do love this city. I can't wait to eat my face off. It's so so delicious. So, okay, thank you for watching our weekly YouTube show and our takes on racquetball and the Pirates and St. Louis barbecue. It's always a pleasure for Andrew Destin. I am Jason Mackey. Please, before you go, like and subscribe. Um, you can always check us out here. There's plenty of content throughout the day, and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the North Shore Drive podcast from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. If you watch this video on YouTube, please like the video and subscribe to our channel. For three months of digital access to post-gazette.com at 99 cents, click the link below in the description.